Good evening. And here we are again dealing with the transformation of the soul. This is part seven of the series that we are in. Uh, let's jump into the word of God. We're going to look at the first division of Psalms and we're going to look at verses one to three. And then we're going to look at John 10 and 10. Psalm one and verse one it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. John 10 and 10 says the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. There are three types of counsel that we have to consider. Number one is godly counsel or the counsel of the heavens. Number two is wise counsel or the counsel of the earth. And this is uh, counsel or wisdom that comes that is inwrought by people's experiences, things that they have endured, things that they have encountered, and the level of wisdom that comes as a result of them having lived through or survived that experience. And then the third type of wisdom or counsel that we have to consider is ungodly counsel, which is the counsel of hell. James 3, 13 through 18 says it like this, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The author qualifies what good wisdom really looks like. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So it's interesting that he's pointing out here that we are going to be able to qualify your claims for wisdom, not just because you have some kind of superior handle on information, but literally he says, by both your good conduct and your works, we will be able to discern or see that the things that you have done were actually done according to wisdom. So in other words, uh, as Proverbs says that wisdom is justified by her children, in other words, the offspring of you possessing wisdom will be very easily uh, seen by the things that you do. One of the things that shows us that you have wisdom are the decisions that you make in your life space. How do you live your life? How do you make the decisions? What is the measuring rod or the system that you use to come to the conclusions that you come to when you were in the posture of needing to make a decision. You can't separate wisdom from choices. You can't separate wisdom from the conduct um, that wisdom is often associated with. And so he says something really interesting here that if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, right? He says, don't lie. 
don't boast, don't lie against the truth. He says the wisdom that you are interfacing with, if you're self-seeking, if you are bitter, if you have envy in your heart, he says the wisdom that you are interfacing with does not come from above. So in other words, bitter people, envious people, self-seeking people are disqualified from even tapping into God's wisdom. Isn't that amazing? Because the Bible also says to us, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. God will give it to you without partiality. Yet this scripture goes on to qualify that if there's bitterness, envy, or self-seeking in your heart, you won't be able to receive that wisdom from God. He says, in other words, the wisdom that you have uh, is earthly, it is sensual, it is demonic. You have been relegated to a place where the only kind of wisdom you will receive is the counsel of hell. You get demonic information and wisdom because you will not adjust the things that are in your heart. I'm to say for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. This says to us more than anything that we have the obligation and the responsibility to make sure that our hearts and that our souls are correct, that they are free from all of the residue of the things that we have gone through. And, and, and you know, it, it's not enough to just state that, uh, but it's something that requires our investigation. We have gone through things. We have survived things in life. We have suffered. We have gone through pains. We have gone through hurt. We have gone through trauma. And I think that there is something that is just innate in us. First of all, as believers that are more than conquerors, but also uh, as people who are equated with struggle, we just get over it. We just get through it. We just we just put on our game face and we just plow through life. But sometimes there are things that damage the soul. Sometimes there are things that split the soul. There are things that cause your soul to be fragmented. Sometimes your soul is uh, is uh, storing up memories and, and traumas and, and just the sludge of the things that your life has brought to you. And if you are not conscientious about getting those things healed and clean, then you're going to wind up having all of that stuff on the inside of you, still impacting you, still affecting your decision-making processes, still influencing how you live your life. We have got to deal a death blow to the maladies of the soul. Beloved, we can't just go on. We can't just push through because ultimately the charades are going to stop. Ultimately, the game is going to stop. Ultimately, the mask is going to come off and we're going to wind up dealing with a version of ourselves or dealing with a version of other people that we are not prepared to deal with. And it's not so much um, that the people are just shifting all of a sudden, it is that they get tired of playing the game. They get tired of not being honest with themselves about who they are and what's really going on inside of them, all right? And so this is why when you're dealing with your teams, you're dealing with people that you interface with, it is important that you have teaching or instruction or, or some kind of informational session that causes people to look on the inside and deal with the things that are going on inside of their life. Because guess what? In the church, there are envious people. There are people who think, Pastor, you shouldn't have that car. Pastor, you shouldn't have that house. Pastor, you shouldn't have those shoes or you shouldn't uh, have that ring. Pastor, etc. blah, blah, blah. That's envy. Jealousy says, I wish I had it and begin to covet it and lust after it. Envy says, I don't think you should have it. And then in that space begins to create an atmosphere and interaction around the fact that I don't think that you should have what you have. This is what the Bible is saying, that there are envious people there, but where there are those self-seeking envious people that it creates confusion and opens the door for every evil thing.
right? That's, that's, it's crazy to think that just those heart dispositions can literally become a demonic gate. We're close, uh, we're quick to look at all of our favorite pet peeve sins. My spiritual mother used to say that all the time. We always talk about people that smoking and doing drugs and drinking or, or having uh, some kind of immoral behavior. But what about the people that are full of bitterness? What about the people that are full of hatred? What about the people who don't know how to forgive and release? And they are going through all the motions of looking like they've moved on. But the reality is in their heart, they're going to get you because they haven't moved on because they're still dealing with those feelings. What about the people that when they see you, they still cringe inside because of something that happened 15 years ago? We don't ever focus on those people, yet our God is the God that looks at the heart. This is the, the arena that God is most concerned with as it pertains to us as the believers, right? And so it says this, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Guess what? If you're righteous, we're going to know that you're righteous. If you're doing things justly and rightly, we are going to see the fruit of the seeds of your righteousness. We have to bring attention to the fact that there are some people who are only divisive. We have to bring attention to the fact that there are some people that are only destructive. They're destructive to relationships. They're destructive to systems. They are destructive to order. They are destructive to anything that is outside of them. We have to pay attention to that because it is giving us insight into a malady of the soul. Watch this. There is a progression to this detriment of the soul. The Bible says, number one, that we should not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Number two, we should not stand in the path of sinners. Number three, we should not sit in the seat of the scornful. So this is how this um, process of demonic counsel begins to happen. Number one, they walk in the counsel of the ungodly. It is baffling to me how somebody who is spirit-filled, anointed, lives a lifestyle of sacrifice to the Lord, unto the Lord, uh, worships the Lord, spends time in prayer, can literally sit at a table with somebody who you know is ungodly and have a conversation as if everything in your life is on par with everything in their life. It's even more amazing how people can literally sit down with ungodly people and ask their advice and ask their opinion. Yet the scripture says here, that we are not supposed to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Well, well, how can I judge? Only God can judge them. I don't know if they're ungodly. No, you do. You do. You know exactly whether or not they're ungodly. You can look at their lifestyle. You can look at what they do. You can look at who they're around. You can look at their connections. You can look at how they handle the things that they handle, and you can assess it. You can judge with righteous judgment that they're ungodly. So how is it that if you're godly, you can sit down and get counsel from the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners. Now you went from walking to a posture of standing. Now you're at the gate. So it means that in the places where sinners are and the paths that the sinners are in doing the things that they're doing, you now have a, a footing in that particular place. It's a progression because you didn't start out standing in the path of sinners. You started out walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Now it is giving you a spot to stand in the path. That means their direction. It means their trajectory. Right? You've gone from being godly, counseling with the ungodly, to now having a space in the path or in the trajectory or direction of sinners. And then it says, sitting in the seat of the scornful. So you go from walking uh, in the council, standing in the path of sinners, to now sitting in the seat of the scornful. Now, all of a sudden, everything is an issue. You don't like this. You don't like that. I don't like that they said that. I don't like the way that they're doing this. I don't agree with that. That's not me. We're supposed to do it this way. That's not my personality. On and on and on. 
you don't even realize that you're scornful. You don't even realize that you have come into a detrimental process in your soul that is pulling you away from the things of God, right? Now watch this. When you avoid this detrimental process, and we're still talking about prospering the soul, if you avoid this process by meditating on the law of God day and night, which means his precept, his governing order, and his rule, you cannot get away from his rulership and his dominion because you're dealing with God as a sovereign. All right. This is the shift in our paradigm. We're dealing with God as the sovereign of his kingdom, as the sovereign of his own nation. So you cannot interface with a sovereign, with a deity without doing it according to their prescription. All right. So you can't get away from it. So if you meditate in the law of God, the governing order, the rule of God, the systems of God, the word of God declares that these are what the results are going to be. Number one, that you will be a tree that is planted by the rivers of water. That's amazing. A tree that is planted firmly by the rivers of living water. That's a foundational establishment in a place with multiple streams of revenue, of provision, of anointing, of prosperity, of currency, of healing, of cleansing, and generational wealth, because these are all of the things that water represents in the scripture. So if you don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, if you don't stand in the path of sinners, if you refuse to sit in the seat of the scornful, the Bible says that you will become a tree planted by the rivers of water. Number two, you're going to have perpetual seasonal manifestation. It says that you will bring forth your fruit in its season. That means you will never, for the rest of your life, miss an assigned place of production, manifestation, or promise. Every cycle of every season that you are meant to manifest something according to this text, you are going to be able to manifest it. That's powerful because if you consider your life, I'm sure that you feel like, like I do, there were missed seasons of promise, that there's things that have happened. Maybe you jacked up a season. Maybe you sowed the wrong seed. Maybe something uh, uh, choked out the harvest that you were expecting. The Bible says here that not only will you be a tree that is planted in multiple streams of increased prosperity, health, cleansing, generational wealth, and all of that, and, and firmly planted in that, but it says you will never miss a season of prosperity and manifestation. You will never miss a promise. Number three, you'll have no corrosion or destruction. It says whose leaf does not wither. Imagine that because there is a time in the cycle of foliage where leaves have to wither, where they do wither and die to give space to the new leaves that are supposed to come. But the scripture says your leaf will never wither. That means that you get to live in a place that is superimposed upon all of the natural processes of life and the things that involve your life. Your leaf will never ever wither. Because of your stance, even the universal cycle of death and rebirth that all of the planetary kingdom has to adhere to, you are exempt from that process. You will always have shade. You will always have covering. You will always have protection from the environment, no matter where you are or what's going on, because your leaf cannot wither. The leaves from the trees also represent the healing of the nations or for the nations. You will exist perpetually in a place of healing. No matter what is going on in your life, you will be healed. This is a whole healing covenant that you get to participate in simply because you meditate on the law of God. You're a tree that's firmly planted by the rivers of living water because you get to bring forth your fruit in its season because your leaf does not wither 
And all of this happens because you refuse to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the path of sinners. You reject the sensual, earthly, and demonic wisdom, and you refuse to sit in the seat of the scornful. Lastly, there's a final judgment on your life. When you do all of this the right way, the final judgment is this, prosperity. That means the sovereign Lord has released an edict, and the edict is whatsoever you do will prosper. That means everything in creation has seen the mark of prosperity on you, and it has to organize around your idea, your plan, your purpose, your assignment, your destiny, your gift, your calling, and whatever you put your hands to has to be blessed. This is the result of prospering your soul. It goes back to meditating on the law of God day and night. The word of God is the object of our transformation. I want you, beloved, to prosper your soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for this series on the transformation of the soul. Thank you for the word of God being the hammer that goes to break up the follow ground. I pray for those that are watching and listening, perhaps through the podcast or on YouTube, or maybe they're watching us live right now, that in the day that they hear your voice, that they would not harden their hearts as in the rebellion. But I pray, Father, that the word of God would be that hammer to break up that follow ground, that would be the sword that pierces and divides asunder everything that needs to be divided out so that the seed of the word can go in and take root, take shape, take form, and reproduce 30, 60, and 100 fold. Father, we put a seal on this word that it will do exactly what you have sent it into the earth to do. Nothing more, nothing less. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless you. We'll see you again.